He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Dateline March 20th, 2020. The news article is from the Atlanta Journal and Constitution. And that news article reads as thus. Elizabeth... Eugenia Beth Wells did not feel well after singing in the choir at the church at Liberty Square in Cartersville on March 1st. Later that day, the 65-year-old Rome, Georgia resident told her daughter about her poor health. A sore throat, coughing, fever came next. She went to the Floyd Medical Center where she was diagnosed with pneumonia and then discharged. Her condition worsened, so she was admitted to the Redmond Regional Medical Center on March the 7th. Less than two weeks later, she died from respiratory failure and complications from COVID-19, the highly contagious disease caused by the coronavirus. The virus, Wells' daughter warned, doesn't discriminate. A mother of three children and a grandmother. Beth played the guitar and she published a book, Garden Variety Wisdom, which draws on her experience with gardening and scripture. She was faithful, forgiving, and compassionate, her daughter said. Wells quit her last job so she could take care of her best friend who was struggling with cancer. My mom was and always has been about helping others. 
about trying to bring God to others, her daughter said. It was never about my mom. My mom didn't think of herself first. We've been echoing what others, particularly someone like the great Spurgeon, we've been echoing what they've said about this particular psalm that's before us, Psalm 91, that it's hope-filled, that it's a cheerful psalm, that it's a psalm to cheer us in our calamities and darkness, and it is. Yet in the back of your mind, maybe you've been thinking, Pastor Lee, Psalm 91, it sounds great, but is it true? Sounds wonderful. It is encouraging if it's true, but is it true? How can it be true when the Beth Wells of this world succumb to the stalking deadly pestilence? The Beth Wells of this world, the Beth Wells that we've just read about, who by her own profession called God her refuge and her fortress. Is Psalm 91 just a bunch of poetic license? Is it flowery language that sounds nice, but sounds nice to those who aren't struggling for their next breath? I'll try another recent story. In the months of January and February of this very same year, 2020, the arrow that flies by day, as the psalmist describes it, struck dead 350 Nigerian Christians. Struck dead 350 Nigerian brothers and sisters. Murdered. Martyred. Wells died a miserable death. How can this psalm be true? 350 Nigerian brothers and sisters fell at the hand of a very real enemy. How can this psalm be true? Pestilence and the arrow don't discriminate. Does that mean then that the psalm, Psalm 91, is simply wrong? Now friends, there are many ways we could answer that question, that quandary, that conundrum that we should all be facing. We could answer that question from the text itself. The psalm isn't promising that we'll never have trouble, that we'll never face trials, that we'll never face danger, that we'll never face calamity. Notice verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him, says God. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. The psalm isn't promising that we never will face calamity or dangers or trouble. The psalm is promising that God will be with His people in those troubles. We could also answer from the text that the calamities, the dangers that believers are spared of are the calamities that are actually a part of God's just judgment upon the wicked that falling by pestilence and arrow for the wicked are falling into an eternal punishment, into an eternal hell. And that's just not the case with believers. We, we, 
if we are struck by the arrow, if we're struck by the pestilence, if we are in Christ, that falling isn't a falling into eternal judgment. But if we die, it's a falling into the arms of our Savior. Verse 7 said, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it, this just judgment of God all the way to hell, will not come near you. We could answer from the text that the psalmist isn't even mandating what sort of deliverance and protection God provides, that God promises. He's not mandating what the deliverance should look like, must look like. Maybe the deliverance, maybe the rescue, maybe the protection is is something far deeper, something eternal. Maybe the psalmist is speaking of, of more than he knows when he writes in verse 16, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You know, brothers and sisters, you don't get any longer in life than eternal life. And believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are already experiencing that eternal life. You've already tasted that eternal life, even now in this mortal life, in this fallen, broken world, this life which is experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic. And our sister Beth Wells is tasting of that eternal life in an even richer and deeper way. We can also answer our question about this psalm. Is the psalm wrong? Is it just poetic license? We could could answer this conundrum by reminding ourselves as we wrestle with the text that if we are living and if we are breathing and if you're watching this right now, then we've already, you've already been protected. You've already been spared from unimaginable numbers of calamities. Think about it with me. What surface have you not touched that if you had have touched it, you would have been infected? What operation that you, you have had that, that went well and the surgeon's knife did what it was supposed to do and didn't slip? What, what operation have you come through and while in the operating room and while in recovery and while in the hospital, you, you didn't contract another illness. What accident did you have and yet live to tell the tale? What accident were you averted from miraculously? When, when, when something caught your attention and, and pulled it away from your phone just in the nick of time and you slammed on brakes or you turned the wheel and you missed being killed. Brothers and sisters, we'll never know how many dangers have been thwarted by God's angelic forces marshaled on our behalf. Let me put it another way. To this point, in each of our lives, we have always and only experienced the divine habit 
of deliverance. We have only and always experienced only the divine habit of deliverance, whether we have known it or not. We could answer our question, Does this, is this psalm wrong? We could answer in all those ways, and I think all those ways are appropriate. But there's another way, I think, that we can get at this struggle that we might be facing with this text. I want you to think with me about the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the road to Emmaus after His resurrection. As He's walking along with those disciples, as I oftentimes tell you, He tells them, He shows them that all these Old Testament passages somehow pointed them forward to Jesus. That all these Old Testament passages spoke somehow in some way of Jesus, right? Well, I think it works somewhat in reverse as well. Oftentimes there's something going on in the life and the ministry of Jesus as we read the gospel accounts that points us back to Old Testament passages in a way that enables us to better understand them. Let me give you an example. Good Friday is soon going to be upon us. And as we read the gospel accounts of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we read those words, we'll be hearing our Savior speaking certain words. We'll hear our Savior praying certain words. And what are those certain words that Jesus is praying, that He is uttering? He's, he's uttering, He's basically uttering and praying Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? And it's upon the lips of Jesus that the words of the psalmist in Psalm 22 make the most clear sense. Well, the same thing can be said of Psalm 91. As we've been reading Psalm 91, were there certain words that sounded familiar to you as we've been reading them? How about verses 11 and 12? Look there again. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Dear ones, Seth has already read for us a passage from the New Testament. Who knew this psalm? Who knew Psalm 91 and who used Psalm 91 in a wicked and devious way? Who, who took the beautiful words of Psalm 91 and used them as a temptation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Satan did. Satan used it. Satan used it against our Lord and Savior who was in the wilderness. Remember the words that Seth read. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written. 
you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In these words, in the wilderness, hungry and thirsty, Jesus met the challenge. Jesus met the temptation of Satan. Jesus met the twisting of of a, a holy passage by an unholy being. He met the challenge of, if this is really true then, he met the challenge of, did God really say? Or he met the challenge of, how can it really be true? He met it with what? Don't test God. He met it with, I shall wait upon the Lord in faith. He met it with, I believe that my heavenly Father, my holy Father, will keep His word in His way and in His time. And think about that, dear ones. What would that mean for our Savior? What would that mean to to wait upon the Lord to fulfill the promise of 91? What would that mean to Jesus, our Savior? It would mean that not only would the Father hold that angelic force back and would allow Jesus not merely to strike his foot upon the stone, but allow his Son, his only begotten Son, to have Roman soldiers drive nails into Jesus' hands and his feet. It would mean that the Holy Father, who had eternally loved the Son, would hold back his angelic forces from delivering Jesus when his Son cries from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It would mean that the Father would stay his hand of deliverance until when? Until that third day when, as St. Patrick's breastplate puts it, Christ would burst forth from the spice tomb alive. Dear ones, do you know who knows this psalm? Satan does. But did you notice where Satan stopped? Satan didn't quote the entire psalm, did he? He only quoted just a little bit. He only quoted a couple of verses, right? He stopped with verse 12. But go on, look at verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. So back to the question we started this whole series with. How are we to respond to this COVID-19 crisis? The psalm and Jesus tells us we are to respond by having faith. We are to respond by confessing our faith, by proclaiming our faith. We are to respond by sharing our faith in our sovereign God with others. And we are to respond... By waiting upon the Lord in faith. Dear ones, in your homes right now, hold on to Him. Don't put the Lord your God to the test.
love him. Cling to him. Wait upon him. For he will deliver you in his time and in his way. And that deliverance, dear ones, will be eternal. And in that deliverance, dear one, the roaring lion who's going about seeking to devour his prey and that ancient serpent will be crushed. They'll be defeated. And that defeat has already begun on the cross. And that defeat will be completed in the coming of Christ again. That defeat will be completed in the new heavens and the new earth. And that new heavens and new earth will not include COVID-19. Verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Dear child of God, know this. When your faith and your holding fast fails, the faith of Jesus never did. The faith of Jesus never failed. It didn't fail in Gethsemane. It didn't fail on Golgotha. And his faith was exercised. Exercised for you. If Beth Wells was a daughter of God by sovereign grace, then she's been delivered. She's been satisfied with eternal life and salvation as she's passed through the portal that is death. Other believers will never be even infected by COVID-19. Yet one day, unless our Lord and Savior returns first, they, we, will know deliverance. We will know the deliverance of God through the portal of death as well. All in God's good time and according to His good purposes. You know, I mentioned Spurgeon last week and I mentioned him again this week. I mentioned that he took great comfort and cheer from this psalm. Well, there's more to the story. James Montgomery Boyce tells that story. In 1854, when Spurgeon had been in London for only 12 months, the area in the city where this young preacher lived experienced an outbreak of cholera. Many in his congregation were affected. There was hardly a family in the church in which someone didn't get sick. And there was hardly a day when Spurgeon did not have to accompany some family to the graveside. Spurgeon, in all that, became physically and emotionally exhausted, sick at heart. He was ready to sink under that heavy pastoral load when one day he was returning from a funeral and he noticed a sign in a shoemaker's shop. That sign, written by hand, read the following. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. 
neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Spurgeon was struck. He was deeply and immediately encouraged. He would write, the effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which, which moved the tradesman to put those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge. And in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Yes, wash your hands. Yes, try to stay six feet away from other people. Yes, obey the lawful injunctions of the civil magistrate. But more importantly, have faith. Have faith in the sovereign God of grace. Profess that faith. Confess it. Confess it to your family members in your home today and friends and others. Confess it on fa Facebook. Share it then with others. And wait in faith upon the Lord. For the Lord has placed this psalm before you today. In His providence, you have Psalm 91 before you, just like Spurgeon had Psalm 91 before him on the way home from that funeral. You have this psalm before you this day. Love and adore this God of grace and providence. Cling to Him, knowing that Jesus clings more firmly to you. Let us pray. Lord, your word is true. You are protecting, you are delivering us even now. As we offer up this prayer to you, we find ourselves living. And we do so because you are answering this psalm in accordance with, with your promise in our lives. Father, help us also to see that you will answer this Psalm, this promise in the psalm, even upon our deathbeds, when if we find our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that will be just a short sleep, and we will awake, and we will be awake and alive forevermore. Protect my brothers and sisters now. Encourage them. Work in their hearts a love and an adoration for you and make them instruments of your love and comfort to others. They have, we have the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, the Christ who clings to us because he loves us. Enable us to love him and enable us to love our neighbors by pointing them to the love that's in Christ. Guide us now, O great Jehovah, and lead us, O great Deliverer. Lead us in the paths everlasting. Amen.